Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. in a blind taste test you'd really be able to tell the difference between spaghetti and noodles well that's a good question because uh, i don't think in a blind taste test i can tell the difference between red or white wine i certainly can't tell the difference between white and rosé can't you no not sure i'm not sure i could either no because i don't have the palate you know that they're always going on about on master chef could you the taste palate let's go for could you taste the difference between Linguini and spaghetti? No, not at all. I don't think I could taste the difference between uh, guava and passion fruit. No. Well, I mean, <laughs> that, that's that we're really into Radio Four fruit testing now, aren't we? I I would not have a clue. No, I wouldn't. I mean, I, of all the people I know, you'd be the person most likely to be able to taste the difference between them. But I think we've probably gone a bit too far with this now. OK, but, but if you're still awake and I know some of you use this to get to sleep, <laughs> there'll be people going. What's about cod and haddock? Ah, now white fish. Can anybody tell me, please, how you distinguish yeah. between one white fish and another? I think monkfish is quite thick and meaty. I might be able to feel feel a monk fish if I had the opportunity. Yep. I'm not sure trout or salmon either. Oh, no, salmon. I think I'd always be able to detect that. Mm, I don't know. Freshwater. Freshwater or, or Tesco's, you mean? Well, don't... Uh, trout trouts don't live in the sea but salmon do but you can also farm salmon in fresh water can't you i'm at the absolute boundary yeah, I think, of my um, fresh fish knowledge here let's move it on there Quick. was a fishing show on my first radio station did you have you ever worked for a radio station with a fishing show oh don't start this again no no uh okay so it was called dirty tackle and it was on a saturday morning at 6 a.m the dirty tackle was on five live Oh, was it? Yes, yeah. It that wasn't. was also a fishing show. Yeah, it wasn't so, on your no. Your then it what? But it private was. individual radio station. No, it wasn't on Radio Garvey. This was on. It was a, in that case. It was. A, it was called another name, um, and it might have been the name of a particular kind of bait. I'm not very what good kind on of worm. Yeah, sort of. Because <laughs> um, a lot of people swear by luncheon meat. It wasn't called that though. The program. A lot of people swear by luncheon luncheon meat. That would be a good name for a show. Anyway, okay, so if you know the name of that fishing show... So which radio station would it have been? Uh, I think it was Radio Wyvern. Okay. Yeah. I mean, which hasn't been going now for about 20 years. <laughs> We'd need somebody with a really good memory. An absolute Radio Anorak would know oh, the Oh, no, they'll to that be question. out there. They yeah. will be out there. Okay, well, whether they're listening to this or not, we won't know, but... Um... I think eventually it gets to them. Do you think? <laughs> yes. 
Okay. I do. Yeah. Oh dear. There's yeah. a lovely email here from Dawn who says, uh, "Hello, Jane and Fee. I was listening to your podcast last night, and hear that you went skiing in Bulgaria. Fee, which resort did you go to? Me and my family went to Borovets, and every other little log cabin was promising some erotic business. The best and funniest was on a dessert menu outside a restaurant for an." Erotic banana. I have photos if you're interested. No, you'll break the internet, Dawn, uh, who says that she managed to keep the kids away. I mean, it is quite a thing, Jane. It's like going back in time 20 years to how is Soho it? used to be. Mm. You know, where uh, you know every other shop had some kind of a flashing red light. And yeah, you see, I wasn't in London Difficult around. image. Yes, I wasn't around at the time. So. Well, no, because you were up in Radio yeah, Wyvern but, um, chopping up luncheon meat. I have never known the frankly uh seamier side of of, of so i don't remember soho is rather a shishi place now yeah and no, it really wasn't no. so actually 30 years ago so i think i've been in london now 35 years uh, so when i first came to london i was trepidatious about walking around soho because i was such an innocent mm. you know it felt properly steamy yeah well yeah by it, the sound of things it was it was but it's just a bit of a shame i don't know whether you'd agree dawn because uh, I think we weren't in Borovets, by the way, we were in uh, Bansko. Uh, I think it is it is quite a lot of our people from this country who've gone over to these Bulgarian resorts and have kind of, uh, you know, stimulated that market. Yeah. So we bear some responsibility for it. But it is everywhere. Mm. I've got a gorgeous, gorgeous picture of the Bulgarian sunset. <laughs> and right across it, it's this massive neon sign that says, go, go, girls. Oh. <laughs> It's not great. You're not going to have, to have the slide of that to show the neighbours, are you? Well, when are you coming round? <laughs> Just a bit busy at the moment, but, uh, but when, when I've got rid of the decorators. Oh, no, come on, because no. I'm going to do a Bulgarian dish. No, I'm going no, to do thanks. my arch of meat. I'll, I'll stay alone with my erotic banana, if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, Julie says, I'm a long-term listener uh, who firmly believes she's found her tribe. I'm the same age as Fee, and I've got children at similar ages to Jane's. I realise I'm one of the golden generation, the first in my family to enjoy a fully funded university education on a full grant, leaving with debts that were cleared in one summer and my own daughters are not so lucky. When you widen access to nearly 50% of the population, you do need to change funding arrangements. But there's been no accountability on universities to provide value. For over £9,000 this academic year, my younger daughter was told she didn't need to be back on site in January. She'll have four weeks off for Easter and then she finishes on May the 17th for the summer. Add into this the strikes and the usual tutor sickness, then I just can't see how the fees are justified for so little face-to-face -face teaching time. I genuinely don't understand why students aren't marching in the streets to protest. If I knew who to complain to, then I'd do it for them. I think Julie actually, she brings up some really interesting points there, and it's only really when your children are at university that you actually think back to your own days and and you know i got it for free as i said yesterday and i have been thinking about the whole funding of university education i'm i think we did have a bit more face-to-face -face time back in the day whether we took advantage of it or not i don't know but from my memory i think there was more teaching time back in the 1980s than a lot of students get now it does depend what you're studying of course if you're doing an arts degree or a social science degree you know, you're not going to be in a lab 
nine hours a day, are you? It's just not going to happen. But all of my lectures and probably all of your lectures would have been face-to-face. Obviously, we were pre-internet, so there wasn't that opportunity. Then you and just printed the first book. When we, you went, we, yeah. first, it was a printing press. You're such a, such a Caxton girl, aren't yes, you? Yes, I really am. Um, but our, all of our seminars, we had a seminar for every subject that we were doing across the three years. So, yeah, even for a... I mean, I was on quite a far-reaching humanities course and I was in university quite a lot. What was it called, your, yeah, your course? Classical History and Philosophy. There's a lot to cram in, isn't there? There is, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, actually. I mean, philosophy is quite wide, quite wide-ranging. Classical civilization is quite a long span of history going on there. Yeah, so if you were stuck in a lift with Boris Johnson, you'd actually have a bit of small talk, wouldn't you? Oh, I'd like to catch him out on some things, yeah, actually. That's what I'd try and do, mm-hmm. yep. But he would... <laughs> And anyway, I do not. That's that's like something of an anxiety dream being stuck in a lift with Boris Johnson. Yeah, maybe you'll dream about that tonight. No, no. don't make me do that. Well, no. he's, he's back, delighting us once again. Former, in fact, Liz Truss has also said something. They both said something in the last couple of weeks, haven't they? So um... whatever those two say will always be reported, though, won't it? Even the slightest little pip squeak, mm. it will, and we'll mention it. So. Yeah, well, let's stop mentioning. Let's stop okay. mentioning. Stop mentioning. Thank you for that, Julia. And um, yes, it, it is. It is on my mind that perhaps I, I suppose there's a part of me that wants to say to my daughter, who's currently at university, go to everything, take advantage of everything, because you are going to be paying for it. And my other daughter's now working, so she is. She started to pay back her her loan. And, you know, you, you really notice it. She notices it. Well, she should do. She should notice it going out of her wages every month. But I do think, yeah, we were lucky. Oh, Julie's right. I was the first in my family to go to uni. And I don't think we appreciated at the time what a wonderful opportunity mm. it was. So, you know, our lovely friend Steph, uh, yes. who runs Don't Buy Me Flowers and who does a podcast. Uh, so she had. So this was last year, wasn't it, when she was interviewing us on our little book tour? Yeah. And she's got three children. Uh, and uh, she's not that, not that much younger than us. And she had only just paid off. She had the last instalment on her student loan, I think, That's in true. November or December last year. And it was actually the size of a mortgage payment that mm. she had been paying out every month. And you think, wow. I mean, apart from anything else, if you're self-employed, you've had to put yourself through three lots of maternity leave uh, anyway you know, without company benefits and you've been paying off that all the way through. What happens to your student loan payments when you are on maternity leave? Can you pause them? I think you can pause them. Yes, you must be able to. Well, yeah. You won't be earning anything. So it's based on your what you're earning. Every month or every year? Uh, it's Well, you don't start paying at all until you're earning over a certain threshold. Yeah. And then, so some people never pay back a penny at all. Which is quite disincentivizing. It is a bit, isn't it, actually? Like I say, the whole system is is clearly not perfect, but nor was the old system. So I don't quite know what the answer to this is. And, of course, Julie makes the other point that back when we went to university, most people didn't, and now half the population of the appropriate age go. Yeah. So I'm very interested to see where apprenticeships lead people because Mm. they seem to be uh, filling a really important gap, actually, in that youth employment market and I know lots of, uh, not lots of, but I know quite a few young people who've taken them up and are having a really terrific yeah. time. And actually their work ethic is then just so different to their contemporaries who are at university on those humanities courses where they're not having to be in a lab at nine o'clock every morning or whatever. It does bring me back to the state of that kitchen floor. 
uh, last week, which I'm trying to get out of my head, if you don't mind. Can we talk religion? We don't yes, talk can we? Religion, yeah. but, um, this is from a listener who says, Francis, who says, I'm totally confused as to how we can continue to be a modern democratic society when we keep on excluding people who have, ver who have varying opinions and beliefs. I am a liberal, empathetic, kind athe atheist, and I cannot see how being a Christian disqualifies you from being the leader of a political party if, as Kate Forbes declares, you are committed to acknowledging the rights of all LGBTQ plus people that have been won through the democratic process. Um, you were talking this afternoon to Stig, we were, and raised the question of whether leaders are actually required to be of a faith. And historically, this is indeed the case. No American president would ever get within a sniff of office without declaring their faith. And in fact, in America's case, of course, it would have to be a Christian faith, wouldn't it? Um, in this country, Tony Blair was famously a practising Catholic. Well, actually, uh, in Pedantry Corner, he was not officially a Catholic until he left office because he didn't actually feel safe enough to acknowledge that he was a Catholic while he was Prime Minister, which does seem really weird. He had converted, but he didn't say so in public. Isn't that strange? Isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, but no one challenged him on his thoughts on abortion rights. Well, I think, Francis, as I say, that's because we didn't officially know that he was a Catholic. Rishi Sunak is a Hindu. No one questions him on where he stands on issues that are at variance with his faith. What is going on? I feel I'm at a loss, says Francis. I believe we should be as tolerant of believers in faith as we are of LGBTQ plus people and everyone in between. Sounds reasonable to me. Yes, yeah, so I think this is exactly what we were trying to talk to Stig about, wasn't it? That uh, it, it just seems to be... It's just not a black and white thing when we just seem, as a country, to really struggle with the notion that you can have faith but also hold an intellectual position. Mm. And we know loads and loads of people who are doing exactly that. I mean, there are lots of people who work in, in, the, you know, in the sciences doing amazing things who you'll also find at a church or a synagogue or wherever it is practicing and believing mm. but they're not they're not mutually exclusive things no. but they're so difficult uh to understand i mean kate forbes has come a cropper for her honesty basically hasn't she and we're always saying she could have just not revealed yeah. that her faith was going to get in the way of anything she's she's told the truth and paid the price and you may or may not like what her views are and frankly you know I'm, i think her belief that you shouldn't have children out of wedlock is um and it's not just that that she also doesn't really she doesn't believe in equal marriage and she if she had she was on maternity leave but had she been um working she wouldn't have voted for the gender recognition act in scotland either those are her beliefs now i might think they're a little bit at variance with the 21st century. But that's what she believes. So is she expected to say, I don't believe any of those things anymore because I'd like to be the leader of, of Scotland? Um, you can't really expect it to, can you? No. I think those are, I don't want to say extreme because that's not the well, right they are, term. They are unusual in, in our times, aren't they? For a woman in her, she's only in her early 30s. They seem to be at odds with much of society. They are at odds with the statistics uh, the you know if you just look at the number of children who are born out of wedlock, it's a phrase I hate. Wedlock, wedlock yeah. Uh, then it's um, it's more than a born within now, isn't it? I think it probably is. Disgusting. <laughs> Thank you. I'm one of those okay. people. Do you feel better? Right, that's excellent. Um, I just want to say that um, Bolton Wanderers are going to rename their stadium 
Uh, it's been called various things over the years. Um, but I do feel that some people are taking this very seriously. They got very upset by the fact that Bolton Wanderers Ground is going to be renamed uh, from next season the Tough Sheet Community Stadium. Tough shit? Tough sheet. <laughs> to the Tough Sheet. Tough Sheet. Oh, you can't do that. The company, Tough Sheet, is based in Bolton. <laughs> it's a recyclable building product manufacturer and its managing director, Doug Mercer, has been a lifelong supporter of the club. Mr Mercer told the Bolton News, obviously the brand name is a bit tongue-in-cheek, a bit schoolboy humour, but I can't wait to see them try and make each other say it on Sky Sports. It'll be a great laugh. Won't it just? Well, it'll be a small. It'll be hilarious the first time, as it just was with Fee then. But it's you know over the course of a long football season, it's wear a bit thin. It's not always going to raise a titter, is it? Fifty-one percent of uh, babies born to uh, unmarried mothers in England and Wales in twenty twenty-one, and unmarried fathers. Yes, but I think the fathers could have been married to someone else. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it is just it's just the mothers that they're that they're looking at. Yeah, that's a very dodgy statistic, isn't it? Yeah. I've been dodgy in the sense that I feel it's a trifle sexist. Yeah, but I know what you mean. I hear what you're saying. Mm. Uh, But yes, so that tipped over two years ago. So you're going against the grain there, Kate Forbes. Right. Well, that's that's us. We've said we think that's very very outspoken of you. (laughs) Going against the grain, Kate Forbes. (laughs) <laughs> but but she's going against the grain in being true to her own beliefs. And this is where it is actually a philosophical debate. This isn't not one I'm really able to conduct. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't. But, but also, um, I don't know what it means, Jane. You know, she if she believes that I'm wrong to have had my children without being at the time married to the father of those children. But what is it realistically if I was living in, you know, her constituency in Sky? Okay. What is the legislation that she would be? Uh, proposing and passing where my unmarried status would get in the way. I don't think she'd be passing any legislation. She's just saying that these are the standards that she holds true for herself. And that's the problem, isn't it? And and she's entitled to to absolutely uphold those standards herself and to believe that she's doing the right thing in upholding them. We're not going to solve anything here. So thank you uh, enormously for your contribution, Francis. Uh, More of those to Jane and Fee at times.radio. Let's get to our guest. Oh, gosh, let's. So our guest this afternoon uh, was uh, Patricia Field. And she, you would know her work if you'd watch Sex and the City, Emily in Paris, The Devil Wears Prada, uh, so many other movies because she is a costume designer to the stars. So if when you think of Sex and the City, you imagine that opening sequence of Sarah Jessica Parker uh, sauntering down Manhattan, uh, wearing a tutu, I think a tank top, quite a lot of jewellery and some very high shoes, uh, that is all in the mind's eye of Patricia Field. So Pat was joining us from New York and we started by asking her to talk us through the outfit that she had chosen to wear for our interview. I'm wearing one of my favourite jackets. It's of a leather. I love the colour. I'm wearing, oh, I don't know, these Versace pants, which I also love. Oh, I tend to love and keep my wardrobe. I'm not one to buy and change and buy and change. Um, My wardrobe kind of has always expressed me and it doesn't seem to 
go out of style in my eyes. Maybe it does, but I don't feel it. No, I think you look gorgeous. Your hair is the most remarkable colour, isn't it? What does what does that how how does the dye manufacturer describe that colour? Well, it's actually a combination of two colours, I believe. Uh, one, Eric, what is the name of that? Manic Panic. Man, it's uh, they're from Manic Panic, and um, this is a combination of a bright red with a a deeper colour to take away the. Bang. <laughs> well, I think it's still got quite a lot of bang, yeah. Pat. Uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about your family. I really enjoyed reading your book, and your life story is a fascinating one, isn't it? Uh, your parents came to America from Greece. Your father had to lose his Turkish surname at border control in America because it was simply too hard to pronounce. And throughout the book, I think the reader really gets the feeling of how important uh, your background and your family background is to you. It's true. My family has always been very strong in my life. They've been there in my life. Not only my parents, but my aunts, my grandmother. Um, You know, I, I feel really that I received a lot of positivity from my family. And um, yeah, that's why I definitely included them in my book because they were so important to me. Mm. Particularly your mum. I mean, her work ethic was just quite something, wasn't it? It was very much her who kind of powered your family through in America. Yes, that's true. You know, my mom. I don't know. I guess I take after my mom in those ways. Um, But she, you know, ran a business and she was proud of her business. And uh, and it was originally located very close to where we live on the in the East 70s. And then she uh, moved her to enlarge her factory. She moved it to Long Island City. And, um, you know, if it weren't for my mom, we would have been. I don't know, orphans, I guess, my sister and I, because my mom carried the ball and um, maybe I admired her for that. Maybe I took after her a little bit for that. I'm sure I did. Mm. So her business was in dry cleaning, which uh, you you know correctly credit with giving you this extraordinary love of fabrics and an understanding of clothes from a very early age. Did your mum get to be very proud of your successes? Did she understand the business that you went into? You know, that's a great question. It's never been asked of me. I'm not really sure to tell you the truth because the generation before me, you know, the word, for example, stylist, you know, I I don't think that they ever really heard that word before. They didn't totally understand what I was doing, but I did bring my aunt Lesvia and um, my aunt May uh, to one of our sets near uh, Rockefeller Plaza, Sex in the City, and they enjoyed it. My mom was in Florida, and um, I'm not sure if she passed away or was soon to pass away, but uh, she didn't. I don't think that she saw my career very much and not that she didn't want to it's just you know her age and whatever I'm not really sure actually Mm. but my aunts did and they um 
and I took them to Rockefeller Plaza. And it was so funny because Mr. Big was there and my Aunt Lesbia said, I love you, Mr. Big. <laughs> so it was a treat for her and I was glad I could offer it to her. Mm. Uh, we don't have very much time with you, Pat, so we probably need to cut straight to the chase about Sex and the City and we'll try and squeeze in that's as true. many questions as possible about other things that you've done. But, I mean, that's the, that's the biggie, isn't it? Can you explain to us where your confidence comes from in putting together those outfits, which just on a kind of mood board may not have conveyed, it, you know, the kind of oomph that they then did on the actual set? Well, let me see. I, my, my confidence, I guess, came from, you know, from my childhood history and my college and, te- and teenage history, but definitely from my mother uh, because she was my role model. And she was running a successful business back in those days. And that was very unusual for a female. And um, I think my relationship with my mother did have a big influence on um, on me. Mm. Which of as the... well as my aunts and grandmother. Sure, sure. Which of the women in Sex and the City was the hardest to conjure up outfits for? Oh, it's hard to say. I mean, I think it all fell in very well. When I met Darren Starr from the beginning, who, um, as I mentioned, Sarah Jessica made that meeting happen. And, um, you know, I mean, his descri- he, I asked him to give me a description of how he saw the three girls. And um, he, um, you know, he gave me that description. And it gave me a foundation. And then I met the, you know, I I met and worked with the three actresses and created a unique look for each of them. But I must say, I drew it from the, the women themselves. It's very important to understand who you're working with. They are real people. Yes, they are actors. Yes, they are in front of the camera. But, you know, deep down, they're people who have opinions, who have taste. And I think it's really important to respect that. I mean, for example, Sarah Jessica, she was very fashionista. So it was kind of a game between us. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, she was great to work with. And then, you know, I did, you know, develop um, Samantha based on the script and also how she portrayed the character. Very important. Yeah. You know, these actors are in front of the camera. It's really important to understand that. And, you know, they have to be comfortable. And um, that's a very important part. And they all have different tastes. And it's important to get into their heads and into their, you know, style. And then make your fashionista adjustments yeah as jane and i were saying if either of us tried to wear a tutu and pair of stilettos we'd just look like we're drunk too much and falling into a dressing up box when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue nile.com you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to Off Air with Jane and Fee, and we're talking to Patricia Field, the costume designer behind Sex and the City, Emily in Paris, The Devil Wears Prada, and so many others. Now, she is a remarkable lady in many, many ways, and one of the things that she can take credit for is the fact that she brought leggings to the world. Well, yes, I, it is true, but I, I, as I mentioned, I was inspired by Olivia Newton-John, in that movie, Grease, the last, she was like, a you know, sort of a proper gal through the movie. And then in the end, she turned into this like sexy gal. And um, that definitely, that silhouette definitely inspired me. And um, I found a lingerie maker, as I mentioned, in New York, not far from where I was. Um and uh, he made these um, tight-fitting, body-conscious leggings for me. Um, you know, it was at a time that that silhouette wasn't everywhere. And um, it became something. I'm happy. <laughs> it became something. Yeah, take take credit. <laughs> um, can we talk, if you don't mind, about The Devil Wears Prada and Meryl Streep's signature white hair as Miranda Priestley. Um, I think you had a few battles, didn't you, making sure that she could have the white hair she wanted? Yes, I did have a little bit of a battle, but when I couldn't win the battle, I said to Meryl, you go tell them, those producers and whoever, they don't understand it. Men think that white hair is old lady. And um, they, you know... They're, that's not their job, really. Um, but, you know, of course, they get involved in the nitty gritty of it. Uh, but actually, Meryl, came, Meryl and her beauty man came to me with that idea. It was her idea. She wanted the white hair. And I liked the idea. We've never seen Meryl like that. And I knew it was going to be in a glamorous, you know, hairstyle. And... 
when I when David Frankel told me I was about his project with Meryl, I was so excited because I admire her of all the actresses that I have ever seen. I have to say, my great respect goes to Meryl for the way for her work. It's great. Yeah. And to be able to work with Meryl Streep, it was to me, yes. <laughs> Well, it's not bad, is it? I mean, it's a long way from your, your boutique and the... I mean, you did have an incredible cast of characters who'd come to that store, didn't you? Just tell us a bit about that. Yes, but before I tell you about that, I just want to say I had got I had already been in the film and TV uh, arena and that, and that was, you know, along the way. And um, I just wanted, you know, to be clear about that. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And, and now you want me to tell you about my shop? Well, I mean, is it true that Madonna was kept waiting outside for a substantial length of time? Well, we weren't open, actually. <laughs> In that case, she At deserved it. <laughs> You did spend but, so much know, time, though, Pat, in, in this kind of milieu of in, immensely creative New York in the 1980s and the 1990s, and particularly the club scene where the trans community really thrived. I wonder whether we could ask you a bit of a political question about transgender rights in America at the moment and where you see that path going, because certainly uh, some of the leading figures in the Republican Party really want to deny the existence of, of transgender rights, don't they? I see that happening, yes. But, you know, I think that based on my experience with HIV AIDS and how the um, gay community responded to it, um, you know, I... I wasn't surprised when um, that developed slowly for, I guess, two decades into where we are today with transgender. But, you know, there's always uh, that segment of our society that wants to deny that or do away with that. And I really think that truth is one of the best uh, how can you say truth is the one of the best uh, ways to live and be and and express yourself truthfully. So you're hopeful. I, I'm absolutely hopeful to have no hope would be you may as well stop living. Yeah, there is that. Uh, and and just to make a bit of a gear change now, could you be friends, Pat, with a norm core wearer? I wasn't overly familiar with the term normcore, but I've had it to explain to me today in pictures. I mean, it's someone who just dresses kind of down, a bit like really. I do, <laughs> a bit like, a bit like Jane. Uh, but, but do you do do you read into clothing the essence of a person and their personality? Is your world just are you surrounded by people who are as creative as you? Well. That was quite a few questions. I'll attempt to answer each one. Um, as far as my attitude towards normcore, I have to say it does not interest me. Break it to me gently. I, <laughs> I love to, you know, you know, fashion is sort of my art. And um, I always uh, suggest to people not to follow trends. Because then you're like everyone else who runs into a store and buys whatever, you know, they see somewhere. And 
they're not thinking of themselves and their own image. They're just being a carbon copy. And I don't think that's a fun way to be. And I su- I'm very suggesting all the time to people to find your identity, your style. And, you know, I, in my shop, I always had unique people working there who had their style. It's expressive. It's not that you copy it, but you see different expressions of individual style. That was our interview with Patricia Field, the costume designer behind Sex and the City. I felt rather grateful that she wasn't in the studio with us, actually, Jane, because I'm wearing... Yeah, I know. Well, we were normcore norm cord up to the eyeballs yeah. weren't we I've, yeah. def- I've got my dog walking boots yes, on you clearly just came, come in from hackney marshes i've got a uh, i mean they're proper jeans they're, they're lovely jeans nice jeans very well cut jeans yeah and i've got a christmas jumper yeah. my mum gave me this for christmas <laughs> it's yes. very very nice and you've got, got a very uh, stripy shirt i've got a very stripy shirt and a vest underneath yeah but neither of us are fashion plates today i no. mean we're 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 both clean well, I am. But that was a, we, don't get me started again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yes, we would have disappointed Pat because basically in that final answer, she did say, if you dress slightly dull, yeah. I'm just not having any of you. You're not coming to any of Pat's parties? No. no. I, I wouldn't have been brave enough to go to any of Pat's parties. No. Have you ever been turned away from a fashionable, fashionable venue for not being fashionable enough? Oh, God, good question. So... Do you remember back in the... Well, maybe you don't because you were busy with your lunch and meat putting it on the end of some fish hooks up in mm-hmm. Wyvern. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but London, kind of late 1980s, early 1990s club scene, so when there were places like the Limelight, oh, which yeah. were terrifying. On Charing Cross Road. Yes, yeah. because you, you really had to dress up to get into the club. Really, really had to dress mm. up. And you were turned away with literally just a hand... Gosh. Uh, yeah, if you didn't, if you didn't look the part, and I wasn't really a nightclub person at all, but I was sharing a flat with my sister, who was just super cool. So she always got in, and it was always that really embarrassing. <laughs> you know, she'd get in, and I'd not get in, and oh. that would be the end of our evening. So yeah, I have been turned away, and and it's very painful because you absolutely know it's on account of how you look. It's not a great feeling. Have you? Well, surely not. Oh, well, I've never even attempted to get in, so okay. I'm, I'm far worse than you. But surely your sister didn't go in without you. Yeah, I don't want to make her out to be, you know, kind of mean or whatever, but it was much more her thing than mine. I was always very happy to go home. I mean, it didn't happen very often. No. I think it only happened a couple of times, and then I just didn't bother to go. It's, you know, I didn't like nightclubs, because you can't sit down and have a nice chat like this, Jane. No, you can't. At no. all. I mean, I'm... it's just, you know, big bang, bogging house. So I genuinely think nightclubs are a hazard if you're shorter than average because there's as you say a lot of that standing up and talking you're craning your neck that's why i've got a lifetime of tension headaches is it studio 54 (laughs) did it for you (laughs) yeah the worcester branch well just back to when we were at university we had studio three (laughs) hilarious no it was straight i mean if you squinted a bit you know, it was definitely, everyone was in Was Halston. that in, in Canterbury? It was in Canterbury, just right. by the railway station. Yeah, right. I mean, there's, <laughs> it's a classic <laughs> night out, Canterbury, isn't it? I mean, we should, I don't know why you didn't mention it to Patricia Field. <laughs> sure, she, she's been out on the lash in Canterbury. Has anything happened in Canterbury since they built the cathedral? 
was that you're nasty very, business. You're very, very mean. There was some terrible business in that cathedral. <laughs> right. Um, the anyway. answer is no, not really. <laughs> I think some... they built a ring road in 1973. Okay. Right, Canterbury, you can fight back. You know what to do. Uh, Jane and Fee at times.radio. York is more interesting than Canterbury, isn't it? I always think it's, it's intriguing that Canterbury is the ultimate... We're back on religion. The ultimate <laughs> Church of England place. But York... It's got the Railway Museum, the and, Shambles. And? Well, that's it now, but, um, uh, and, yes, and. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, come Cho- in, York. Did, there was a chocolate manufacturer in York, wasn't there? Is it Roundtree? Was it Yorkie? <laughs> okay, right. Uh, good evening. <laughs> You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this, but live. Uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com